This is Zion Hebraic Congregation with me, Luke Tanner. This week's Shabbat message is by myself, and it is from the book of John, chapter 10. Uh, feel free to check us out on our website, zionhebraiccongregation.com. If you live in the Newfields area, seacoast area of New Hampshire, feel free to come by for a visit on Shabbat. We meet every Saturday at 10. And uh, if you're on our website, you can feel free to check out our archived Shabbat messages. Also, blog posts that my dad puts out weekly. You can subscribe to those with your email in the little email subscribe box. And at the bottom of the page, you can find links to our social media accounts where we post things like the Torah portion, New Moon, when it's cited in Israel, uh, stuff like that. And uh, you can also subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcast. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, things like that. And our theme music, as always, is by my buddy Evan Shaw. You can find him on Instagram, at Evan Shaw Music, and his website, evanshawmusic.com. Have a good week. Enjoy. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. All right, Shabbat Shalom, everybody. If you want to go to John chapter 10, that is where we're going to be. Thank you. Slowly making our way through the book here. And... Uh, been good. So if you remember uh, in chapter 9, um, Yeshua was talking about the blind and the light of the world and being put out of the synagogues, and he's talking to the uh, disciples as well as the Jewish leaders and, you know, telling them they're blind and that he's the light of the world and essentially establishing that if you're not one of his followers, you're, you're, you're not in the kingdom of heaven. You're not in the in the club. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it's, it's, it's interesting where he goes with that in chapter 10 because, again, like I've talked probably almost every chapter that we've gone through the uh, chapter 10, uh, uh, the book of John, and as you read through most of the New Testament, my dad's been, you went through Galatians and some of Paul's writings, so much of what is dealt with and even I was reading a little bit in Acts earlier uh, with uh, Cornelius and Peter and the vision of the sheet, and that has nothing to do with what you can eat. So much of what's going on in the, the New Testament is who, who is actually the people of God? How do you become the people of God? And, and what does all of that mean? Because there was a whole lot of chaos and confusion in the first century, and I believe that's so much of why and I believe even the rabbis were right, but so much of the reason why Yeshua returned at the time that he did, because uh, they said that, you know, when Messiah comes, he will teach us the Torah perfectly. And I think that's exactly what he did. It just didn't fit the narrative of what we 
maybe they at the time thought. And much of what goes on with the Torah is, you know, the Torah is for uh, a whole world, but uh, for our purposes, you know, it's, it's the commandments of God for his people. And so you have this power play of, of control that's going on between the, the leadership of the day in the synagogues and in the, um, uh, in the temple, controlling things monetarily for gain, for political power. And a lot of it had to do with who was allowed and who was, was not allowed. So if you were if you were Samaritan, you were a half-breed, if you were a Gentile, you definitely couldn't be part of the club unless you got initiated properly. And that's why you have all these debates over circumcision. Should we be circumcised? Should we not be circumcised? Um, but at, in the first centuries, oftentimes, you know, when you hear the, the term circumcision, when you read in the book, or those of the circumcision, it means uh, those uh, who have... You know, whether you're Jewish or not, or you've been brought into being a Jew through a certain conversion ceremony. And so, and the, this debate still goes on today. There's the issues of, you know, are you more legit if you're Jewish than if you're not Jewish? And my personal belief, and I think the scriptures back it up, is, is it has no bearing on your standing before God, whether or not you are Jewish or any other nationality or that goes through your blood it has to do with Yeshua's blood. So Yeshua, I think so is what is, what is beautiful about the book of John is when you go through this and you read, he, he explains exactly who his people are, how you become them, and how you can know whether you're not one of them or not. And he tells them in 18 weeks from Sunday through all his parables and how, you know, they see whether they see him and and what he is and what he's doing and being, you know, the Messiah on earth, teaching his people. So anyways, we'll get into this. Um, and uh, and uh, go from there. But first we'll pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day, for your word, for this Shabbat, this time to gather together and read and learn. And I just pray that as we read, we would uh, learn and that you would instill your truths into our hearts and minds, that we would take it and live it, God. Uh, I just uh, thank you for all these things. In Yeshua's name, amen. All right, um, I guess we'll go, we'll go bit by bit, and I'll kind of talk about this as, as we go. All right, so chapter 10, verse 1. And keep in mind that these aren't, when he when he's talks through these little parable, parables and phrases, they're, we'll, we'll explain it as we get into them, but they're not cute. They're not just like neat little bumper stickers that have no attachment to anything. You know, it's, it's, it's very deep. All right, let's go. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goes before him, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable Yeshua spoke unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. So you have him explaining, and if you back up into, 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 into chapter 9, he's talking to these uh, 
unbelieving leadership of the day. And he's basically saying, look, I have, I have a sheepfold, my people that are in my kingdom, uh, and I am the shepherd of, they are in this fold where, and I put them in when I, and I take them in and out, they'll follow me and they know my voice, but they don't know the voice of strangers because uh, they're not, they're, they're people. And if you've ever been around sheep, it's very evident. They'll follow their shepherd uh, because they, they know him and they're familiar with him, but they don't follow a stranger. And he's saying, a thief and a robber, you know, i.e. those leadership who were trying to lead and control the sheep and use them during that time, were uh, uh, in positions of authority and leadership, and they got in there in a false way, in a bad manner. They shouldn't have been there. And so that's what he's telling them. <laughs> Um, but they don't understand. He, they're like, well, we, we don't understand what you're saying. So, um, seven, then send Yeshua unto them again. So he's, you know, probably staring at their blank faces and being like, yeah, uh, all right, we'll try this again. <laughs> Verse seven, Yeshua said unto them again, verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. So he's like, all right, let me explain here for you people. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. So he's saying, I'm the door of the sheep, which is a very important concept to uh, understand and wrap your mind around it. And this harkens back unto the Passover when they would put the blood on the door and you had to enter into that house with the blood on it. And you had to go through that door. It's the only way into the kingdom and way out. Uh, and it's the way of salvation. So, you know, he, he gives us these, these, this imagery and these word pictures and explanations to explain eternal concepts of what's going on. And so he's saying, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. So they don't care about the sheep. They're in it for their own gain. They're using the people. And that's really important to understand that, you know, God has given leadership and God has given instructors and teachers, but there are false teachers and there are false instructors and there are those who are out to just fleece the flock and they get in through nefarious means uh, and they take advantage of people. So we have to be, have a discerning heart and spirit and measure them according to God's word. So uh, all that ever came before me were sheep and robbers. Nine, I am the door, but by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and go in and out and find pasture. So it's really important. The only way into the kingdom, the only way in and out of the garden of Eden is in and through Yeshua. You have to go through him. You know, it's a very important concept. You can't just enter. This is pictured all through scripture. You can't just waltz on into the Holy of Holies in the temple. And, the, you know, you have to go. Uh, uh, the only time is once a year where the high priest goes in on Yom HaKippurim. And uh, he stands in the stead, in the place of the people, representing them, carrying the blood of the sacrifice in there. And so Yeshua enters in on our behalf, and so you have to be in him to be in his family. Uh, nine, I'm the door. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and go in and out and find pasture. Ten, the thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I'm come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. It's such a stark contrast. I find it so interesting that he says this thief comes in uh, to steal and to kill and to destroy. You know, those who are not come in by the right way. I mean, it's like life and death, and there's not really any in between, basically. It's pretty stark. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. 
So he's laying out these principles that that's, you know, that's essentially what the shepherd does. Uh, and I think that's why, da you know, God used David partially because he was a shepherd living in the... It's interesting because David was a shepherd living out there, just doing his shepherd thing, you know. Didn't probably have much aspirations in front of him other than just to tend the sheep. Moses spent four years shepherding sheep before he had to drag all the people through the wilderness. So you think about that, he was, I think he was 80 when he started, when he went back to Egypt. I mean, talk about starting over again. What a nightmare. No wonder he didn't want to go. And uh, so anyways, Yeshua is also a good shepherd. Okay, 12. But he that is in hireling and not the shepherd, whose own sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, leaveth the sheep, leaveth, and the wolf captures them and scattereth the sheep. The hiring fleeth, because he's a hireling and cares not for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. So he's saying, I am the authority figure, and the, the, that one which is in charge of my people, the people of God, his kingdom, his fold. There's one shepherd, there's one king, there's one door. There's not a myriad of ways. That group over there doesn't get in by some other means. And the only one that can lay down their life to save and protect the sheep is God himself, is Yeshua. So the wolves are always out to get them. So in the hiring uh, uh, fleeth. F uh, 15. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also must I bring. And they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. A lot of people debate over, what does this mean? I think it's pretty simple. It's pretty basic. Those who are... Um, not in the natural-born fold, aren't necessarily Jewish by blood or have some sort of, you know, tangible Israelite identity at that time. Uh, the scattered ten tribes, those who, you know, Cornelius, anybody who came from a Gentile background who has been grafted into the natural tree of God, there's going to be these two folds brought together, made one and one shepherd. You know, there isn't the Jews over there on Shabbat and the Christians over there on Sunday or whoever else, whatever else, somewhere. It's, it's one people, one God, one system. And uh, because, again, you know, they had, at, and during the first century, and the same thing goes on today, they had the court of the Gentiles. If you were a Gentile, you could be a righteous Gentile, but you had to stay outside this little fence that they erected in the temple, and you couldn't go in where the real, legit, real people Jews are and if you wanted to be one of those real, legit, real people Jews, you had to go through as an expensive conversion ceremony to be able to really now officially be in the club and actually recognized by God in the kingdom, you know. And so Yeshua came saying, no, that's not the case. And like if you read in Acts with Cornelius, that's what these whole stories are all about. And why Paul spent all the time he did writing over oh, again and again about all these things and why he talks about, as my dad talked about, Abraham and the children of the promise and that he'd be a father of many nations. And so it had been distorted, not, not all, I, I think, by some grand dark conspiracy, but because of Israel's, and especially Judah's history throughout their sin, through their captive times, those who wanted to return back to God became very... Um, protective uh, in ways. And so they, in their fervor to want to keep the Torah, they put extra fences around it and they added things because they didn't want certain Gentiles to come in and water things down. And so they made extra stipulations and wanted to protect it all. But then that became, as things do, its own system whereby 
men who were of dis, dis uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say, uh, unsavory fellows will use those things to take advantage of people. And uh, same friggin' thing happens today. These mega churches and uh, mega synagogues, I don't care what it is, you know, and uh, people selling whatever, a $90 Bible. <laughs> you know, run away. Don't go there. So, anyway, Yeshua is the good shepherd. He's the door. He's the shepherd. He's the only way. He leads the flock, and you got to go through him to be part of the flock. And he's going to take those who are uh, of another fold and bring them in, which was a very controversial thing because, again, they thought they held the keys to the kingdom. And you're saying, no, you actually don't. I am the one who holds the keys and brings in those who I will. And, uh, <laughs> all right, so... Where was I? Uh, 17. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. So he's talking about his resurrection, that he's the one that dies for the sheep. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Um, and I think why 16, the other sheep that's wrapped into this, and him laying down his life for the sheep, uh, has the whole idea behind... Uh, of salvation in which to, to, to again, to, if you go back to the picture of the temple or the tabernacle, to go into the Holy of Holies, not just anybody can go in there. Even the high priest can't just waltz in there. There is a stepwise system which you can approach and enter into the presence of God. And because of our sin nature and because of death, Something has to take that penalty. That's why the priest would lay their hands on this, that animal and they would press their hands onto the head and they were confessed in sins over and they were transfer that physically some I don't understand how it actually works but onto that animal and and so our sin has to be transferred onto Yeshua so that we can enter in before a perfect God someday and only someone who's perfect can take that away from us because uh, you can't man can't die for man to be able to come into the presence of God. There has to be more energy injected into the, into the equation there to be able to make it such that we can stand before God. Um, you know, these are, it seems like kind of starry mysticism concepts, but it's really not. It's like, you know, we see people all the time dying, you know, in war, dying for their brothers. You know, somebody jumps on a grenade and gives their life so that the, the whole can make it. And what do they even say? Like, when they, uh, one writer wrote about the Holocaust, he's like, the best of us didn't make it out of there. Why? Because the best people gave up some of their food or gave up the good places and they died. And so this idea of something greater with more energy to save that which is, is lesser, you know. A weak person can't save a strong person. You know, it needs to be the other way around. And so to be able to bring this, these other sheep in, they have to be cleansed. They can't come in in their, in, their dirty, in their dirty state. Adam and Eve couldn't go back into the garden into, in their fallen state. Uh, only God can go back in, Yeshua. And he's perfect. So you've got to be in him. I've talked about this a thousand times and beat the dead horse, but it's important. <laughs> and we need to understand it. And the reason I, I'm bringing it up, too, is, again, during the first century, the way that you were, quote-unquote, saved was by being in Abraham as they saw it, meaning physical lineage. You had to be 
they'll, they'll speak out of both sides of their mouth. Like even today, Ju uh, I'm, I'm painting things with a broad brush here, so don't get too upset with me. But Judaism as of today will say, speak out of some of both sides of their mouth. They'll say, uh, how are you in the kingdom, right? How, do you, how are you right before God? Well, it's not by works. It's not by our merit. It's even in some of the prayers. Okay, so, all right, it's not by what we do. Cool. So how do you get in? Well, you have to, uh, you have to be, uh, you have to go through a conversion ceremony so that you can be a Jew. It was the same thing during this day and age circumcised. You had to go through this certain ceremony process to be something, to be transformed. Now you're good to go. You're in the club, right? And uh, so it's works-based still, right? But then they'll say, uh, the other side of the mouth, they'll say, well, if you're born, you know, Jewish or an Israelite, and you're bad enough, though, though you're definitely not in the kingdom. You know, there's plenty of bad Jews out there, and they're not in the kingdom. Well, so which is it? Is it works? Is it your bloodline? Is it your bloodline and works and your works and your bloodline? Like, how does it, what gives here? And so that's what Paul was talking about and what Paul wrote about so, so, so clearly, really, if we understood the context of the first century, that no, the promise of the seed and, and faith, it's by faith, which is Abraham. Because Abraham was a idol-worshipping pagan before call, God called him out of the Chaldeans. And so he is the picture for faith, and we go through the same exact process. And so Yeshua is taking these other sheep, and they're hearing his voice, and he's bringing them through the door, Passover, the blood, into his sheepfold, which is bypassing all of these man-made processes, which keeps the people under the thumb of control in the first century. And again, the same thing goes on today. There's, I want to swear, there's, there's messianic conversion ceremonies that you can become Jewish. It's like, give me a freaking break. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Have you read your Bible? Gosh. All right, continuing on. Ba -da -ba. Where are we? Yeah, ba -da. 17, 18. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and the power to take it again. This commandment I have received from my Father. Now there was divisions among them because of these saying amongst the Jews. <laughs> Why? Because of everything I just explained. So they say, uh, 20. Many of them said, he's got a devil and is mad. Why hear, hear ye him? He's obviously insane. Others said, these are not the words of him that hath a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? So they're seeing one thing. They're hearing things that are hard to understand. that are conflicting with what the common narrative and teaching of, of the leaders is. And so the leaders just, uh, it's what always happens. Instead of, instead of arguing the point of what's going on, you just say, he, oh, he's nuts. That guy's just a nut, nut job. He's crazy. You don't actually address what the person's saying and stand toe-to-toe -to -toe and have a debate or uh, reason through things. They just um, de denigrate the person, you know. They just say, you're just a madman. And so, but the people are saying, well, wait a minute. What you're telling me, and then what I'm seeing, isn't really lining up here. Especially when I think about what the scriptures say. So, can a devil open the eyes of the blind? So, 22. And it was... At Jerusalem, at the Feast of Dedication, and it was winter. Hanukkah. It was actually Hanukkah time. The feast of Hanukkah means dedication. So he's walking around in Jerusalem, in the temple, uh, during Hanukkah. 23. Actually, this is one of the most 
ancient uh, uh, references, actually, which is interesting, I think. One of the oldest references that we have to Hanukkah is in the New Testament. <laughs> I think that's funny. Jewish wa- uh, G- Yeshua walked in the temple of Solomon's porch. 24. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us in doubt? If thou be the Messiah, tell us plainly. So Yeshua answered unto them, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you believe me not, because you are not of my sheep. So he's saying, you ain't in my fold. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So he tells them plainly. (laughs) And what do they do? They pick up stones again to stone him. Uh, so Yeshua says, many good works I have showed you from the Father. For which of those do you stone me? <laughs> Yeshua answered him, saying, For good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. And Yeshua answered them, said unto them, I just love how he uses the scriptures. Is it not written in your law, I said, ye are gods? And if he called them gods, unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken. For you say of him whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world, thou is blaspheme, because I said, I am the Son of God. So he's saying, the Bible says that you're sons of God, that you are, that you're gods. The scripture has prophesied of me being sent into the world as the Messiah, and you're going to stone me for doing and being what the scripture says, basically. So he just wraps it right back on them. I mean, he just leaves them without a... a an angle to turn to, you know? That's why he says, for which of the good works that I did are you going to stone me for? <clears throat> 37. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works, that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand. And went away again beyond Jordan into the place where John at first baptized, and there he abode. And many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle, but all the things that John spake of this man were true. And many believed on him there. So you have all this, this tidal wave of, of change that's taking place in the first century as Yeshua's walking around, and he's doing his works, and he's doing his ministry, and, all, and John preparing a way. Uh, in his ministry before Yeshua showed up, and, and, and they're seeing the continuity between what, what John taught about Yeshua and then Yeshua coming on the scene and doing it, and they're like, wow, it's all true. Um, and you have, you know, John separating himself out into the wilderness apart from the uh, temple system and teaching because of the corruption of the chaos of which it was but then you have Yeshua that just kind of goes right down into the center of it all and he doesn't he doesn't say this is all bad tear it down he he speaks the truth and goes right at the throat at the jugular of everything which is the leadership of the day it's interesting I was reading in a book about um, uh, about the central nervous system and it was talking about how 
So there's 12 major systems in your body, which I don't think is a coincidence. You know, I don't, I can't name them all right now, but respiratory, circulatory, digestive, whatever. There's 12 of them. So it's including the central nervous system, which I think is interesting. Of those 12, 12 tribes of Israel, which make up the body, of those 12, you have the central nervous system, which, which controls all. And it's split someone into two sections. You've got the brain and the, and, the, and the spinal cord. And then you have the peripheral nerve system. And so it controls the rest of the body, right? It, it teaches the rest of the body. I think it's personally a picture. I think the brain and the spinal cord is a picture of the priesthood, which is interesting because the brain and spinal cord are the only parts of the central nervous system and the only part of the body that's completely encased in bone, i.e. the temple. And so it's completely encased in bone, but then you have the peripheral nervous system that goes out to every part of the body, i.e. the Levites, in the Levitical system that's spread throughout all the different tribes and they have their cities, right, to teach the people, to instruct. And so you have, if you have a breakdown of the central nervous system, the body dies. The body can't function. You pinch off a nerve. I pinched a nerve in my neck and lost about 80% of the strength in my right arm. You know, it's, it's pretty severe. And so what does Yeshua address directly? The central nervous system. He goes right at it. And, uh, and this, you know, don't think for a moment that today, I think that's why we have, uh, uh, and, and it was happening here. That's why Yeshua was having to heal the people because you get mutations. You get weird things going on. You get involuntary muscle twitches or whatever, you know. And all these crazy things start to happen because if you have a breakdown in the dissemination of proper and pure information coming from that central, the Word of God, the temple, you know, the Spirit of God, um, you have chaos that ensues. And so you get all these weird friggin' things happening. And so that's why I think it's so important instead of addressing the weird, you know, when I pinched the nerve in my neck and my arm went numb, I didn't try to exercise my arm back into, I addressed the problem in my neck, the pinched nerve. And so don't get led down rabbit trails of insanity and people, you know, in their chaotic theories or, or teachings or instructions. You know, if we stay rooted in the Word of God, stay connected to the central nervous system and the truth that it has, Yeshua being that life and that spirit. I mean, if you think about it, basically your mind, your brain is just mostly fat. It's like cholesterol. And, and so it's, it's not just a ball of chemical up in there. There's, there's, there's an energy of spirit. I guess that's why I'm trying to say it. So we have to be connected to the Holy Spirit, to the Word of God. They're one and the same thing. You know, they're not these separate things. One's doing that weird thing over there. <laughs> that we can't quantify and explain and is woo-woo and whatever, while then the Word of God is, well, you know, we don't like to go there. That, that's just kind of boring, you know, and that's not exciting. It's like, no, they're the same thing. They do the same thing. Not that the Spirit of God doesn't do miraculous things. Obviously, it does. But it's usually when we read our Scripture, these amazing, miraculous things happen because there needs to be some grand event that happens to usually protect or steer or change the body of a messiah anyways i don't know why i'm getting off on all that so
But Yeshua is the shepherd. He is the, the door. Uh, and uh, it's only by him that we, are, that we are saved and in his fold and are taken care of. And everybody else is thieves and robbers. So, anyway, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day and for your word and for the truth of it. And I just ask that you would uh, continue to lead us in it and uh, that we'd be changed by it. And uh, while we are spread and scattered all over the diaspora, that we may be these, these, these veins of information and energy and of your spirit and your truth connecting to all parts of the world, that we would disseminate your truth uh, to revitalize things and to, uh, though being punished out here, that we, this opportunity would be used to spread the truth of your word. Um, that those who are scattered would be gathered back in and that all those who um, you, would, you would bring to yourself would hear the truth and repent and turn to you. And um, so may, may we just be diligent in that, Father. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. Hey, mighty warriors arise.